Well, in June this year, just ahead of the release of financial results from Naspers, Pete Filion, who manages the Merchant West Value Fund, was uh, rather scathing in his criticism of the management team feeding at the shareholder trough. Yesterday, Bob van Dijk, the chief executive of Naspers, departed the scene rather acrimoniously, perhaps, or we'll find out in a moment. Pete's here to give us his insights. Peter, I was on the conference call where Chris Becker and the new chief executive, Irvin Tu, were holding forth. And it was, there was a lot of interesting stuff to come out of that. But Bob van Dijk, the chief executive of NASPERS, up until Monday morning, was not on that call. Is that usual? Um, probably not. But in this case, uh, one probably expected because his departure is very sudden. Um so I'm sure it wasn't all amicable and backslapping and uh, big hugs all around. But Nasfers, to me, has always been a company that has prepared itself well for its successions. If you think of Ton Forslu, who went from chief executive then to chairman, Chris Becker from chief executive then to chairman. But this chief executive, we've been there for 10 years. There's no succession here. We have an interim CEO. So something must have gone on. What's your thoughts? Well, I guess that um, the controlling shareholders and ourselves realized that um, there's been tremendous value destruction in the business over the past 10 years, and the buck has to stop somewhere, and normally it stops at the front door of the CEO's office, which is the office of uh, Bob Van Dyke. When you say value destruction over 10 years, can you quantify that? Well, it's hard to quantify, but very simply, um, if you uh, ten years ago, Naspers's main asset was um, ten cent, and there are some other venture type investments. Ignoring those investments because I don't know what they're worth, but they're probably not worth a lot more today than they were then because they mainly all money losing. The main asset was ten cent. If they had just kept ten cent, the compound annual return would have been three percent per annum better than where they've ended up today. And 3% per annum over a 10-year period is, you know, that's close to 40% of the value of the business. Those are big numbers. Those are big numbers. If you take that the value of the business is hundreds of billions of rands. So if I understand you correctly, if Naspers had done nothing, if the managers of Naspers had simply sat on their hands, yeah. shareholders would have been 40% better off today. 40% better off, roughly, roughly speaking, 40% better off today. But Bob Van Dijk was well remunerated. We've seen many reports about how much money he's earned over the period. Who must take responsibility then for his appointment? Well, I, I guess the controlling shareholders have to take responsibility for that. But, you know, they are the shareholders and it's their prerogative. Uh, they, are, they control the business and it's their prerogative to appoint the managers. So, you know, to the extent that the value has been um, dissipated by Bob and Dake's actions, um, they've suffered at the hands of that. Have you met Bob? Have you had much to no, do with him? I've never met Bob, no. Is that uh, the way you like to play these things, that you actually just look at it from the outside rather than engaging directly? 
I think the numbers tell the story. Uh, sometimes it's useful to to speak to management to get their side or to get insights as to how the business works, how they think about the business. But the numbers tell the story. You know, I think Bob Van Dijk has been interviewed many, many times in many, many different business and other publications. So one could sort of see how he thinks about the world. And um, it's very different to how I think about the world. Um, so, you know, I, d- I don't think it was ever necessary to speak to him to understand those things. How so? How different? It's just, yeah, it's, it's just, uh, I mean, I think he comes from a consulting type background. So there's a lot of business lingo in there. Um, and there's a lot of growth stories. And But uh, in terms of cash flow generation, uh, which is what business is actually all about, there wasn't much of that. And what about the new guy, Irvin too? MIT, uh, MBA, very well qualified. He comes across as very hard ass, certainly in that he, he took over there. Yeah, I'm sure he does. Um, uh, his background, of course, he's, he's ex-SoftBank. Um, so, you know, it, uh, it would be unfair to prejudge. Um, but from where I sit today, without knowing anything more, um, it's more of the same. That's interesting. In the were you in the conference call yesterday? In the conference call yesterday, Chris Becker took a back seat, which is not kind of the way he was when Bob Van Dyke was around. Uh, he appeared to almost allow Irvin to to dominate the conversation, uh, and in in one or two instances, Irvin. Um, I won't say told Chris to be quiet, but he certainly did. Um, you you knew who the who the alpha male was in the room, which was really interesting for a Nuspers perspective. That, that's very interesting. I, I didn't know that. Um, I guess um, there would have been um, consultation with Erwin uh, before he was appointed as interim CEO, and it would have been on certain, under certain conditions that he would accept the offer. Uh, and I think the dynamics would then play out as as you as you experienced them. Um, I'm not sure that's a healthy situation. I think the controlling shareholder and the CEO should to work together as a partnership. It should um, it shouldn't be a antagonistic um, relationship. Uh, I don't think that's healthy. Um, so that's probably something they need to work on. But I I can understand that there's a lot of tension around in the upper echelons of Nuspas because of the massive value destruction that has taken place in the past. So this is a consequence of the board listening at last to what people like you have been saying for a while. I guess so. You know, um, I, I'd be surprised if the board listens to me. Uh, I don't think we care very much what I think, but I do think I reflect what a lot of people think. Um, and, and it's, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to work out the value destruction that has taken place. I mean, you can see what Tencent has done and you can see what Nuspers has done and Nuspers has far underperformed Tencent so, and that was the big asset. Um, and in the meantime, they've sold Tencent shares and used the money, I wouldn't say wisely, um, they've used it to buy cash incinerating assets, not cash generating assets. So what might happen under a very different, and let's presuming for a moment that I did read the room correctly in this X. SoftBank, Goldman Sachs, hard-assed American uh, is going to look at bottom-line performance 
a lot more aggressively, maybe more of an American way than Bob Van Dijk perhaps looked at it in a European way, which seems a bit softer. What might happen if 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 that is the the guy running this business? Well, it's it's hard to say um, because uh, the American way uh, is uh, up to now, for the past fifteen years, has been fully supportive of money losing venture capital type um, investments. Um, so I'm I'm not sure what's going to happen. I do think there will be a more of a focus on uh, show me the money, if I can put it that way. Um, you will definitely get more of that because I think that's what shells are clamoring for. Um, but we'll see what happens. Um, I still think that um, the controlling shells of NASPARS are, are looking for their next uh, moonshot. Where, you know, Tencent was probably the best venture capital investment ever in the world. And I think they are still looking for their next moonshot uh, and will continue um, seeding different businesses uh, to try and get there. Uh, but I don't think what they've got at the moment is one of those. So nothing on the horizon um, that, that could be a, a, a very rich strike from what you can see in the portfolio today? From what I can see and understanding that I am not a venture capitalist, so I don't understand that world very well. So it might be there, but I think the odds are against it. Now, we South African bit, and Naspers has a huge hold on the South African media sector, for instance. It's by far the, the, the most dominant player here, but it doesn't make much money here. Do you think, with a, again, this tough American running the place, looking for bottom line first, we might see some change in the ownership here? Uh, it's possible, but I, th- I think the South African assets are so small in our spouse's life at this point that there's some bigger fish to fry. I mean, there's some really big money-losing ventures in there, and I think they'll probably start there and work their way through it. Um, I, I don't think they're just going to throw the baby up with the basketball. I think they will look at each individual business's business case and make a judgment call on that. Um, so, yeah, it, it, I, I wouldn't be able to say whether they will be for or against anything in South Africa. I think they will evaluate each business on its own merits, as they should. There's wonderful stuff on the internet. I found a website that had the ages of all the NASPERS executives, all 23 of them. And uh, Irvin, too, is the third youngest of those yeah. 23 executives and younger still than Bob Van Dijk, who's only just 51. Is this yeah. a reflection of the way that the world's going, particularly in technology? I guess so. Um, I... I, I I expect it to be that way. I think um, if you are looking for a chief executive of a business that needs to execute and manage the business properly, you probably want a 40 to a 50-year-old. You don't want somebody who's too young that doesn't have the experience, but you also don't want somebody who's, who's old and tired like me. You know, I think you want somebody uh, somebody that uh, still has a spring in their step and, and wants to get in and get their hands dirty. And, and I think the, 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 the prime age of that is men and women in their 40s. Old and Roughly. tired, Pete. I, I, I could call you many things, but old and tired doesn't go along that. Uh, so from my perspective, when I saw this, given the low uh, view that many have of Bob van Dijk and the impact that he's made uh, and the potential that a different style might uh, have at NASPERS, I'm looking to add this to the business portfolio. Would that be in your opinion, a silly thing to do, given that there's still such a huge discount between this and the underlying value? So there is a big discount. And um, so we own the share. Um, 
in some of the funds we manage at Merchant West uh, because of that big discount and because of the fact that Tencent is a good business. Uh, and I don't think you're paying very much for all the other stuff which aren't such great businesses. In fact, you, you could argue paying, you're being paid to own them, which is fine. Uh, so, so I don't think you. I don't think it's a bad idea. Uh, I wouldn't uh, want to make, give any advice because I'm not allowed to give advice. Um, all I can say is that in our portfolio, we own some aspects. So, if you were giving me a thumbs up or a thumb down, um, the fact that you already own some within your portfolio, which is a new thing for you, because you you haven't it had is, them. Yeah. Hmm. And, and, and no, what, we had. Hmm. We never used to own aspects. We only bought them in the last year when the discount got substantially. Uh, inflated. So it's the disc. It's a discount play from where you are. Very much so. It's a, it's a big discount on what fundamentally is a core good business, um, and and possibly the controlling shareholders have now realised that maybe they need to play a different game. Uh, you know, and to the extent that that is the case, then uh, I think the discount could start narrowing. Um, otherwise, you know, we'll ha- we're at the at the at this point we're reserving our judgment. We'll see what the new CEO. If he gets appointed as the permanent new CEO, what his strategy is going forward. All I can say is not going to be a lot worse than what Bob Van Bake did. He certainly appears to be full of confidence, and uh, he does appear to be quite well forthright and forceful. And uh, what Chris Becker said was that he will run the place like a uh, like he was the permanent CEO while they look around the world, which is. Is it a bit of a strange thing to do? Why yeah. would they? Why would you appoint an interim CEO uh, when you might have the right guy? Well, they don't know they've got the right guy, but they had to make a. It's clear they had to make a sudden and quick decision. Um, it wasn't a long consultative process with Bob. I think um, I think the the exit happened quite quickly, and so they had to make a quick decision. And so you don't make a quick decision and make it permanent. You make a quick decision and make it temporary and then say, well, let's have a look and then make it permanent later on when you have time, when you have had time to reflect and think about the situation. Pete, what makes you feel that the exit happened quickly, given that this is, he's been around for 10 years? Yeah, he's been around for 10 years. I do think that one of the, one of the responsibilities of the board uh, as they represent the owners of the business, is to plan for executive succession. And with this process here, it's obviously that things happen quite suddenly because there was no succession plan or no proper succession plan. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, they would have had a replacement lined up and ready to step into the breach uh, and carry on. Uh, they don't, uh, or they don't think they do. Uh, so it's clear that um, things happen quite suddenly. And um, uh, I think I... My guess is there was some acrimony. So but that's my guess. Yeah. Now, when he was explaining this, the chairman, Chris Becker, said that the reason why Bob left immediately and uh, Irvin took over immediately, and he said as of literally of that morning, was because he didn't feel that they felt they wanted to do something differently. They wanted to do it differently because when a CEO uh, has tendered their resignation, as it were, or that they were going to be departing, that the powers shift within the organization very quickly and people don't really listen to him anymore. And I suppose, I think it was one of the publications called him, he didn't want him to be a lame duck CEO. Yeah. Uh, is that, does that hold any credence with you? 
No, I don't think so. I, th- I think they um, they probably had some corporate PR people in to help them uh, plan what they needed to say uh, and the message that they needed to get across, and that's the message they want the market to have. But, you know, um, as I say, don't judge me by what I say, judge me by what I do. From what I've seen that happened there, things happen suddenly and acrimoniously. So the main thing, though, is that you're not going to sell your shares as a consequence of the news, but would you be buying more? No, I would not be buying more at this point. I think when I sit back and see what the strategy is that the new executive, if he's allowed to do so, if, if he is the, actually the person that will be running the business, uh, what his strategy and the business strategy will be going forward before you can make, make up your mind about that. In the meantime, the discount is still very wide. Uh, and I don't think things can be a lot worse than they have been than they have been over the past ten years. So, so I'm comfortable holding the shares. So in in the basketball parlance, it's a bit of a slam dunk for him, for the new CEO. He's got a wide discount. He is a uh, trained perhaps differently, a little more rationally perhaps than uh, or less um, uh, less kind. Uh, to people and more happier, <laughs> more 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 shareholder driven, possibly. But uh, you know, you only have to think back to the uh, the tenure of Cynthia Carroll, Anglo American, see what values she destroyed there as as an American um, with her share buybacks and and all this acquisition acquisitive activity. To see that, yeah, I'm I'm not sure the geography uh, or the nationality of a person that is. It is what is your strategy and and what is your and how you see the world. Um, and that's what we all need to, to sit back and just be a, bit, a little bit patient and see, you know, if there is change in aspects, change in thinking and change in strategy or not. If there isn't, then, uh, then one would have to think very hard. Well put, because we often think, well, if it's an, ex- an executive from America, they would think this way and an executive from, from Europe a different way. But of course, that is, uh, Cynthia kind of disproves that theory. She might be the exception rule, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I think, I actually think uh, the American uh, economy has had a tailwind of very low interest rates for a very long period of time that hides, hides a multitude of sins. Um, so I'm not sure that you know the whole view of the world, which says America is good and the rest is bad, um, holds very much water. I think it could actually be quite the opposite. How long are you going to give him before you make your decision on whether to sell or buy more? Well, as long as it takes to, well, first of all, to see whether he is in fact this, going to be CEO. And if he is, what is his strategy? So that, you know, how long that takes. So as far as NASPAS is concerned, they should back up and decide whether or not they're going to keep him there because until that happens, there will be uncertainty from investors. Yes. There will be uncertainty, and it's it'll be an environment which it'll hard to see the share price going up much under you know in the absence of any anything else happening. Um, so, but having said that, it's a big business, um, and there's a lot of value at stake. So, I'm not sure they should be too rushed in deciding exactly what they want to do and how they want to do it. I think they should take their time and decide how to do that. Which, And I think the appointment of interim CEO gives them that time, gives them that sort of pause to decide, hang on, you know what, we for 10 years we've been flailing around here, um, destroying value, not going anywhere. Um, let's reset and try something else 
uh, what is that? Uh, it's going to take time to come to that answer. It's not going to happen overnight. Patience is a virtue, especially with investing. Pete Fillion is the manager of the Merchant West Value Fund, and I'm Alec Hogg from Business.com.